Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. All right, Fit Biomics is my new sponsor here on Holding Court, and I'm, I'm very excited about this because I've been looking for something to help me with my gut health. You know, I'm 55 now, my gut not quite as ripped as it used to be. Other middle-aged men will know what I'm talking about. So I've been hearing about this gut health and probiotics for some time, and just so happens that Fit Biomics came along, wanted to be a sponsor of my podcast, and Nella is their new product. It's a deli capsule of next-generation performance probiotics, which is is designed to help anyone, including yours truly, pursue a healthy and active lifestyle and reach a new level of their personal best. You know, get that gut health, get that digestion better, um, sleep better at night. So I am starting this out. I will do it alongside you. You can go to their website, nella.fitbiomics.com, and you can use my code, PMAC, that's P-M-A-C, 25, and you will get 25% off all products. Let's do this together. Let's see how our gut health progresses. I am very happy to be joined by Mr. Alex Dixon, and it is great to see you, Alex, and I appreciate you doing this big time. Patrick, thank you very much. It's exciting to be here, and I can't wait to get after it. You know, I I started doing this, Alex, right? I'm here in my basement in uh, Westchester, New York, about two years. Well, I guess, yeah, it was about two years ago, right when I got COVID for the first time. I got it for the second time this past uh, Christmas with Omicron. So I started right here in my basement. So uh, if you see a few pictures of me when I was a kid, that's that's that behind me, you know, playing tennis and so on. But your story, because, you know, I did did do a little homework on you, Alex, as I like to do. And uh, unbelievable, you know, where you started out. I know you started out in the Las Vegas area, in Nevada. Uh, now you're in Dubuque, Iowa. So we'll get to that, how you actually got there, which is an amazing story. But just talk a little bit about how you got started um, in Nevada, how your family got started there, in the business out there, and where it's taken you these last couple of years especially. No, well, I appreciate it. And again, uh, my name is Alex Dixon. I currently humbly serve as the President and CEO of Q Casino and the, the DRA here in Dubuque, Iowa. Iowa, stand up. Uh, go Hawkeyes. And, uh, Wait, but what, is, really, what, is, what is the DRA? What is that? The DRA is the, it, it was the Dubuque Racing Association. And right. so we are, we are evolving. And so I know we'll get in a little bit of that. But we are uh, an entity that was created back in the mid-80s when, when Dubuque, uh, like a lot of Midwestern towns, were, uh, were struggling. Um, and so th- uh, this town, uh, a group of board directors uh, who I now report to, got together, went to the city and said, hey, we're going to create a nonprofit to go raise $7 million to bring Greyhound Racing to Dubuque, Iowa, so that we can uh, really save our city. And so you can imagine, a lot of your listeners probably serve on board of directors Mm-hmm. Um, but this group literally took out second mortgages on some of their homes in order to provide the collateral for the $7 million uh, that got Greyhound Racing started. Um, that then evolved to uh, bringing in casino gaming. And uh, so since then, uh, this, this casino operation, which is only one of two nonprofit casinos in America, has delivered over $1 billion of economic impact. Wow. That's in a town of 65,000 people here in, uh, in Dubuque. It's a, what, what's the other one that's a not-for-profit, by the way? So it's, it's in the great state of Iowa, uh, Prairie Meadows, uh, uh-huh. uh, not too far from us in, in Des Moines, uh, in Altoona to be specific. And so uh, uh, Gary Palmer, who's the CEO there, he and I are, have the great privilege of being the only uh, two nonprofit casino CEOs 
uh, in America. And uh, quite frankly, it is a model as uh, gaming continues uh, in your neck of the woods, whether it be in New York or Georgia right. or Texas, uh, a number of other places that I think most people think that there's only commercial casinos like in Vegas and Native American casinos. Uh, but this is a model that I think for whether it's rural America uh, or in urban America, that uh, cities and states really need to take a very close look at. But uh, that's uh, that's a little bit about the business, which is uh, exciting. So the model basically, Alex, is obviously having your own <clears throat> casino and the gaming business as it is, but then a not-for-profit. So some of the resources that you guys create through the gaming and, and I guess through the um, hospitality as well then goes into the not-for-profit. So that helps build the community around it. Am I correct? You're 100% correct. And so the way uh, specifically is the Q Casino and DRA is essentially one organization. It's to the consumers uh, we face, and Q, Q Casino is how we go to the market. But then the DRA, or the Dubuque Racing Association, is organized as a 501c4. Uh, so, again, we're nonprofit. We don't um, uh, pay federal tax because all of our profits goes back to the community. Um, and so in our case, one-third goes back to the city, Dubu city of Dubuque who owns the land where we operate, and they own one-third of the profits. Then another third goes directly to charities. So we act as a foundation. And so, uh, and then the last third, which is uh, out of a new lease, that I was uh, able to help negotiate with uh, our, our mayor and our, and our great city manager, is that we give one-third that will no, now go to development for this great island that I, I can't wait for your listeners to uh, one day visit us. Uh, we're about 20 minutes uh, away from the Field of Dreams, so we're in the midst of, like, if you build it, they will come kind of uh, <laughs> Yeah, and they had, uh, they had the major, major League Baseball game there last this summer, which was hugely successful. And they're coming back. We got the Reds who will be in our place. We got Frank Thomas who's invested in the Field of Dreams. Uh, we're going to welcome Major League Baseball. Uh, to give you a sense, we had the highest-rated midseason game uh, in MLB's, uh, uh, let's say, Fox series last year right here in Dubuque, Iowa. First first ball game, major league ball game played within the state, and that's 20 minutes from us. And so we, we're able to take the profits and run a casino. I call myself a compassionate capitalist. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, make as much money as we can to then give it all away and, and have an impact uh, within our community. And it's just, it's simply amazing. Well, you're simply amazing because you sidestepped my initial question right away, Alex. You went right into talking about the business, which I respect. You're a business guy. I know you work yeah. at, Gold, at Goldman Sachs for a couple of years in New York and London. So that was sort of a, a, yeah. a, a couple of years for you. But I want to just get into yeah, yeah. how you got started in the business, okay, and in the in the gaming business. Because I heard you on a another uh, uh, interview that you did where you talked yeah. about how your family got started. So that was very interesting no. to me. That's a, absolutely it. And so any conversation about how I got started in business has to start with the fact that uh, prior to 1960 in Las Vegas, African-Americans were not able to walk through the front door of a casino. Um, and so if you think of this as, you know, our family's been in this great country for, you know, hundreds of years. And so right. we were in on my mom's side down in Louisiana, in Tallulah, Louisiana, my dad in Opelika. My dad got stationed out to Las Vegas with uh, Nellis Air Force Base. Uh, he, once he uh, was out, started as a, as a housekeeper, uh, excuse me, as a porter, uh, mm -hmm. then a bar back. Uh, but again, up until 1971, until there was a consent decree uh, by the U.S. attorney in Nevada, African-Americans could only work in the kind of the fr front line roles, meaning housekeeper, porters, maids, cooks. 
So then right. after that, he went from a bar back to a bartender, which is meaningful. Like you get a lot of tips, you know, and, and uh, right, right. Uh, <laughs> so it was helpful. So um, so all that said, uh, we came from from the deep south and we migrated out. And so our family, instead of going up to Mississippi or excuse me, from Mississippi up to Chicago, right. we went west. Uh, and so some of us landed in the Bay Area. Some were in L.A., but I guess we ran out of gas in Vegas and started shooting <laughs> dice. And uh, uh, but no, it was it was uh, exciting. And so born and raised there, third generation now casino employee. Uh, but I went to Howard University in Washington, D.C., caught the investment banking Wall Street bug. So moved up to New York, started with Goldman Sachs doing M&A, moved over to London, finished in, in uh, L.A. Uh, we advised Disney when uh, they uh, bought Pixar. And so it was an amazing opportunity to see business at the kind of uh, uh, high level. But I quickly then realized of, hey, met my wife, Yendra. We moved back to Vegas, uh, started the family, left banking, joined uh, uh, Caesars Entertainment. And then I wanted to get in operations. But, you know, as you know, sometimes you got to go out in order to go up. So we moved to Baltimore, opened up a casino, then moved to Springfield, Massachusetts, opened up a casino with MGM. Then landed back in Vegas as the president and chief operating officer at Circus Circus, uh, which is the 11th largest hotel in North America. Uh, and then MGM said, hey, we're selling Circus. So I'm like, damn it. I just, you know, thought I was back in the Mecca. I was going to, you know, be at the cheapest house on the block and work my way up. But look, life throws you curveballs sometimes. Um, so I left. I was running a laundry company. And so in many ways, I was back to square one, the same laundry company that my uncle used to work at, you know, 10 bucks an hour putting wow. sheets through there. I was then the president of it. Uh, but then I said, you know, I, I look, as you can tell, I'm high energy, love shaking hand, kissing babies. I got to get back in the business. And then I get a call from Dubuque, Iowa. Of all and, places. Uh, right. We, we moved in August and uh, uh, Patrick, we couldn't be happier. Uh, we could not be happier. Um, and so three kids, the oldest is 15, the twins are, are 13 and, and uh, we're, we're off to the races. I knew you had twins because uh, I have twins too. And oh, really? I have a, yeah, I have. A, we're in the exact same boat, Alex. I have a 15-year-old daughter, and then okay. I have 13-year-old twin daughters. So, Goodness gracious! Are, do you have all girls, or are they a mix? No, it's the oldest is a boy. Look, he's no longer little Alex. I'm now. I'm now little oh, Alex. You're little Alex, house. right? Right. You know, and then he's, uh, and then the twins. We got Parker and Peyton. So uh, Peyton is at Wash. Uh, Middle school, go Wallhawks, and then my son—he's nonverbal autistic, Parker. Okay. And uh, and so we've we've been very fortunate to get some great uh, services here in in Iowa, and that's just a a huge, significant portion of uh, you know how we've been able to be successful here. Well, it sounds like a I mean a, a total whirlwind as far as you moving around, and uh, how has that been for you and for the family? Because obviously that's I mean that that can be challenging for the kids, right? Having to change schools, different environments, and so on. So, what's that been like? And I'm I'm guessing you're hoping to settle here for at least a little while. That's exactly right. You know, there's what we're doing here from a you know on a professional side. Look, it's going to take years in order to be able to de develop this island into where we need to go into the next step. 
Uh, but from a family perspective, you know, my wife, Yendra, who's an amazing woman, she went to Carnegie Mellon undergrad and in NYU for business school. So in her own right, she is extremely successful. But the way I describe her, she's a political consultant and she's the uh, Stacey Abrams of Nevada is the best way to describe, wow. let's say, what, what, what she does. Um, you know, she won't say that, but I will. And so you can imagine in the middle of an election cycle for us to get up and move uh, she's, she's an amazing woman and our kids have become extremely resilient, uh, learning how to hop in. Um, but to give you a sense on Super Bowl when things were starting to ease up, you know, we probably had 20 middle schoolers uh, over at the house. And so, you know, my daughter has just, she's playing volleyball and swimming. My son's doing cross country and, and, uh, swim and, and doing a number of different things. And so, you know, if you can't find good people, there's something mm. wrong with you not the mm -hmm. community where you've moved to. And so we found that to be uh, a benefit for us. But I tell people, bigger's not better. And this is a great big country. Everybody can't live, you know, in Manhattan, San Francisco, L.A. There's right. a significant opportunity, uh, particularly for people who are willing to take opportunities. There's a great, let's say, resignation in America. And mm -hmm. so people can do what we've done is you had a previous leader retiring, step up, spread your wings, make your mark, uh, and get after it. And so uh, just trying to instill that in your kids and make sure that it says, hey, look, I know things are different, but uh, we've got an opportunity here in, in Iowa to do great things, and that's what I expect of you. Well, it sounds like um, you got a pretty darn good handle on that. So let's get, you know, I'm not a finance guy. Um, I studied political science in college. Um, but, you know, when you when you look at your business, Alex, and obviously I pay attention to the casino business just like a normal person. It's obviously exploding. There's one, you know, five minutes from my house here in Westchester County now in New York. Um, but is it what, what when you look at the future of your business, is it is it driven by the casino? Is it more obviously Vegas? You've got a lot of hospitality. You've got events. You've got shows. What sort of the magic combination do you think of having the extracurricular activities but also having it be about the gambling which is i think what attracts a lot of people to go to these destination sites yeah no it's great and i'll start macro and then kind of bring it down home so i think the is the future of our economy is we're going to start taxing the company uh, excuse me the industries that are not the industries we aspire to be you know, if we think of, you know, how uh, Americans through the modern medicine, we're, we're living longer, we are extending people's lives. And you'd love to think that, all right, hey, if, if, if grandma or any of us are going to live, let's say, hopefully into our hundreds, you'd love to think that, oh, yeah, we're all going to go sign up and uh, go join the Peace Corps. But the reality <laughs> is, is that like with all this extra time, with all this extra money, uh, you know, we end up going and having a lot of leisure time. And so what's happening is, is that states across our country is, is, are saying, hey, look, this hasn't brought all the negative things that we always thought about it. And quite frankly, let's not let the tax revenue go across the border, whether it's over to New Jersey, if you're there in New York right. or to someplace else. Let's leverage this business that has been around forever. But now let's bring it under the tent and help to leverage it as a tool to help spur economic development. And so that's what we've seen at a macro level. And so to that end, I believe there's gonna be a significant wave over the course of our lifetimes to continue to have expanded both destination resorts like Las Vegas, and there's no one else who does it better. Um, but then out in the communities, people are gonna say, 
hold on, you know, we've got, you know, all these other forms of gaming or entertainment or whatever this may be. Let's bring it to our community. Let's make it safe. Let's have uh, the leverage the right technologies. But now let's have the pools, the spas, the great amenities, the great things that help to make a community a destination because communities now will be defined by their leisure activities. And people will say, I can work and live from anywhere. And so in many ways, people are going to be able to say, hey, the reason why you want to move to Dubuque is because we've got this great fully integrated resort that we've built this little, you know, masterpiece on the Mississippi. Let's move and go work there because we can have the pool, have the spa, have all this other stuff. If I choose to gamble, hey, that's great. But if not, like I can have all the other things. And so to that end, we're at the precipice, I think, of the next expansion, whether it's in Texas, into Florida, into Georgia, and in a number of different states. And so I think this model, meaning the nonprofit version, is going to start competing with uh, how you can do good by a community, bring the amenities that are needed, and bring a leader like myself. When I go to sleep every night, I'm not saying how am I going to make my owner rich. I'm saying how am I making Dubuque, Iowa better? Uh, And if you can take that. Uh, it, it, it spells great things for our country and, and specifically for our community here in the tri-state community. What do you think of, I mean, you've been on the inside, obviously, of the business, and you've obviously worked for some of the biggest companies that are based uh, in Vegas or have big marks in that town. I, I'm guessing there's a little bit of, like, Vegas, you know, they've got their turf. I mean, they've seen this explode, obviously, in other parts of the country. You know, as much as you can tell me, Alex, what do they what do they really think about what they see happening in other parts of the country? Are they afraid it's going to take away their business? Is it, you know, come one, come all. This is better for the business overall. What's your inside take on that? Absolutely. Las Vegas is the entertainment capital of the world, not not the entertainment capital of the United States. And so to that end, Vegas is going to continue to lead. I root for it. I cheer for it. A lot of my friends are running these companies, are leading the state, uh, both on a a private and public sector. Vegas is going to be great. And and we're going to see them host college football championships, all these other things. What Vegas is now uh, focused on, the gaming industry broadly, is how do we roll out a responsible uh, mechanism to introduce commercial uh, native and now nonprofit gaming in communities across the country in a way that can open up this form of entertainment to greater pockets of the population. Um, you know, in the past, gaming has expanded in areas that's what I would call not in my backyard. People like when Vegas initially started, it was in the middle of nowhere, it was a desert. Nevada was a very small place, and so hey, go do it there. Then, you know, expanded it uh, to Atlantic City. Then, you know, it says, hey, we want to expand. And communities said, hey, we don't even want you in our community. So you have to go on a riverboat and you can't even, let's say, dock. Then it evolved and we brought them from, let's say, the riverboats on the land. And now we're saying, hey, let's use it as a tool to help communities like a Philly, a Baltimore, New Orleans, Detroit, uh, uh, other areas to help spur economic development. And then now the next wave of future is to say, hold on, we got these huge casinos up in Oklahoma, but Texas doesn't have gaming? Like, help me, like, work Mm. this out, right? Right, right. And so now it's all eyes are on Texas, all eyes are on Georgia, all eyes are on Chicago, all eyes are on Atlanta, uh, and these great places to say, hold on, we got to figure this, we got to figure this out. 
What about Florida? Where are they at in this? Yeah, so Florida, Florida right now, the Seminoles um, uh, developed gaming. And so uh-huh. they've done a very good job of, of making sure, quite frankly, that commercial casinos are, are kept out. Um, and so there's now a fight with you've got the DraftKings of the world, other land operators, plus the Seminoles. And the Seminoles in the state of Florida have said, hey, look, this thing is working for us right now. Uh, but it will continue to be a hotbed of political activity mm. to be able to say, should, let's say, whether it's one tribe or one group, be able to have a monopoly on land-based right. casinos. And so you've got you know, Disney who says, hey, we don't want commercial stuff. You've got the Seminoles who say, hey, everything is just fine. The states who's saying, hey, we've got uh, a lot of good money coming in. We don't want these guys in Vegas, you know, uh, overseas or whatever else coming in on this turf. But ultimately the marketplace will start to dictate to be able to say, how do we leverage this tool as a, as a vehicle to help our communities? And then how do we help it to fund state government? But then how can we leverage it to drive population in what I believe can be done in tertiary cities? So Dubuque, city of 65,000, we're almost at the cusp, broad MSA of 100,000. We need to grow our population. So we need amenities like this. And so there's a model for there's a lot of communities across America that look and feel like a Midwestern Dubuque place. And this model can be in addition to Native Americans, in addition to commercials. We can go out, do well by doing good. Very interesting. Are right, you listening to Holding Court, everyone? Alex Dixon here. He's the CEO of uh, Q Casino and DRA, as he calls it, the Dubuque Racing Association. Um you mentioned sports briefly, and obviously I'm a sports guy. And in yeah. my sport, tennis, there's a huge amount of gambling going on online and overseas, maybe not quite as much in the U.S. Obviously, you've got DraftKings and some of the other uh, you know, fantasy leagues and so on. What's your take just overall on the, the, the bet, betting in sports in general and particularly here in the United States? Yeah, no, it's 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 great point of, of just what you described again. Uh, there's a lot of gambling activity that is going on that right now is not, let's say, in the legal market or right. is not uh, done in a way that is able to, to drive tax revenue, to pay for schools, roads, bridges, and whatever else. So what we are seeing is an expansion of sports betting across our nation. Marketing, uh, there's starting to be rationalization in terms of, of, uh, of the business. The core business of sports betting itself is not very, is not very profitable. What many people are uh, angling to do is to say, hey, how can we have uh, sports betting be, let's think of it as like the Trojan horse, in order to be able to expand online gaming into communities. And so eventually everything uh, in our lives will have some form of online gaming component. That business is very profitable. Sports betting is not. But so, either so way, let me, let me let me stop you for a second because that's yeah. interesting to me. Sports betting is not as mean profitable for the for the casinos and for the people running it. And why is that? Because if you think of if you have a, any given match, you have you, you we as the casino we have to take action on both sides, and right. so we so need to cover get, both you, sides. You, bases. You're trying to cover both sides. If there's a, you know the Super Bowl, let's use this, a football game as an example. Yeah, that's it. So you have people betting on the Bengals, you have people betting on the Rams. And so we as the house, we have to make sure that we're mitigating the risk on both sides. And so then we're making a very small spread. And then from Mm. that spread, that drives the revenues. Versus a slot machine, the core economics of a slot machine is you put a dollar in the slot machine. 
we call that coin in. Over long periods of time, this computer, which is a slot machine, has a random number generator in it that sends 90% of, uh, let's say, that $1 back to the consumer to pay all those different jackpots. So then right. we, as the casino, we take $0.10 cents on that $1 that goes in. So that $0.10 cents then goes funds all the other different activities. So in some states like Nevada, from that $0.10, cents, we pay the state 7% taxes. In other states, let's say like a Maryland, off of that $0.10, cents, you pay 61% to the state uh, in, wow. terms of, uh, in terms of taxes. So two different models. So in Vegas, because they pay much lower tax rates, they can have the great big resorts, the great pools, the great entertainment. And so that's why that there's going to be uh, a great place for, for Las Vegas for a very long time. But in regional markets, they say, hey, we're going to restrict how many licenses are able to open up. And so therefore, we want a greater share of the, of the profitability. And so if you look at that, the core business or economics of a slot machine or table games in a traditional casino uh, manner doesn't have the great growth potential that maybe, let's say, online gaming does because of the, let's say, leverage you get of scale. But the core business of running a casino is very good. And we here in Dubuque are a very prime example of that. We're a city of 65,000 people, but we kick off nearly 20 million of cash that can, again, go to pay for roads, bridges, police, fire, all these things. Whereas our sports book, uh, it's minimal, infinitesimal. When I say infinitesimal, it is infinitesimal. That said, it's a great amenity. And so it's an amenity, no different. It it probably probably brings people to the area. I mean, like a lot of people go to Vegas because they want to bet on the games and they spend a weekend in Vegas. So they're they're getting the revenue from that standpoint. But you're saying not so much from the actual betting on the games. Yeah, that's right. I want to have a great pool so I can draw people. I want to have a great sports betting offering so I can draw people. But I'm not expecting my pool to pay my employees. Gotcha. Right. right, It's a great it's a great amenity. We, we've been like flying through this. I see we're already at 25 minutes. So I told you we'd stay to 25. But before, uh, we'll just go over just a little bit and, and talk to me a little bit about how COVID is starting to, you know, we're starting to come out of it. Today, actually, the, the day we're recording this is early March. And it was the first day my daughters go to public school here in Westchester, great public school. Um, first day without masks. Wow. In two wow. years. You know, that started with just like I'm sitting there. Oh, my God, it's been two years. You know, obviously, when it first hit, they were all virtual for that part of it. But they've been in person for basically a year and a half. So how has your business been able to deal? Because, I mean, we we saw those shots of, you know, a Vegas strip like dead, like totally empty. And obviously, this has happened all over the country. So how has your business dealt with it and now just starting to come out of it? No, it's it's uh, I was still in Vegas when uh, COVID hit. And so I, I was very fortunate. I served as one of eight appointees to uh, ne- Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak's kind of task force. We went out and raised uh, 14 million bucks in about two weeks to go you know, buy masks to help compete because a, a small state like Vegas, we needed to make sure that we were able to, to move. And so at the time I was running a big laundry company, uh, Pure Star and Brady Lennon in Vegas. We had 1,200 employees. Uh, when Vegas shut down, we went down to 45 people. Wow. I mean, it was wow. just it was uh, it was uh, just very difficult. Fortunately, we came out of it and we you know, got back up to a thousand people off to the races and, and kudos to to my old friends at Pure Star and the, and the team at Brady Lennon out there in Vegas. But uh, when I come here to Iowa, 
now Iowa had already kind of started to move, come out of it, you know, by the time I arrived in August. And here as we sit, as we get ready to go launch into the big tournament here, March Madness, people are ready to party. And <laughs> you got that right. Yeah, we are. We are adding extra concerts, you know, on Friday night, whereas before we used to have concerts on Fridays and Saturdays. COVID right. hit. We cut it. Then eventually, like, all right, we brought him back. He had a little bit of a mask. Then uh, we stopped doing the free shows. We did ticketed shows last week. I mean, we were standing room capacity in our place. It was overflowing. And so then you spend time on the floor with the customer and they're like, hey, Alex, um, we you need to have shows on Friday nights. And guess what? We're going to have shows on Friday nights because, you know, people are ready to come off the farm, ready to come out of uh, uh, wherever they are and and they're ready to party. And so um, to that end, we've got to now increase capacity. Um, And the broader thing, the big salient thing that I see coming back is as we think about our immigration policy overall, we now know we've raised our rates. We've raised, um, you know, there is no more stimulus. But the one thing I've been shocked by as I come here, there's a small but very significant like immigrant population who's helping us to keep this place going. And we need to grow our population because there's greater organic demand than there is labor pool. And so now that all the stimulus has gone, that's no longer the piece. People aren't staying at home because they don't have uh, unemployment. They're not staying at home, let's say, because of COVID. There's just not a lot of people. Now, that's one thing somewhat inherent to, let's say, Dubuque, but but all over the country, we've got uh, that. That's a concern. And so, so much of this is we have to open up the, not the floodgates, but we have to open up um, having immigrants at, at doctors all the way down to people who are, you know, cleaning toilets, cleaning housekeeping, you know, all this stuff. And so that's where I think we've got to go. But people are ready to get out and uh, we're ready for them. Well, I can see that you're ready, Alex, because uh, you got tremendous energy and uh, I wish you all the best. I, I never thought that I'd be thinking about how am I going to get to Dubuque, Iowa, but now you got me thinking about it. I'm going to come hey, visit man. you and I want to check it out. Come out for the Field of Dreams and uh, let's let's watch, you know, the Big Hurt and the whole team. And, and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. And, and quite frankly, you know, this is a place that, uh, you know, up and down the Mississippi River, it has been used as a tool of industry. Now we're opening it up to as a, as a respite for leisure. Um, and so we're right at the border of Wisconsin, Illinois and Iowa. Three hours from Chicago, hour and a half from Madison, uh, a few hours from from Des Moines, and so it's uh, it's awesome. You got to get out here. Keep up the good work, Alex. I really appreciate you coming on with me and uh, and and talking shop. No, thank you to my team. Thank you and appreciate it. All the best, Alex Dixon. Everyone on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mud House Media.